In an age of moral bankruptcy, political sleaze, theological confusion, and aimless religion in a mindless church, we're addressing the need for a Bible-based, intellectually rigorous, 21st century Christian faith. This is Sinners and Saints. Theology with an edge. Has your church developed an evangelism strategy that includes a casual dress code, convenient parking, bright lights, live bands, short prayers, and simple sermons that accentuate the positive? If so, you may be in the purpose-driven church, and this is going to be a purpose-driven show. 25 minutes of purpose. Our purpose-driven strategy is to beat down these marks of a false church. We are talking about the purpose-driven church tonight. You're listening to Sinners and Saints on 99.5 FM, KKLA. Hi, this is Reverend John Sautel, pastor of Congregational Life and Outreach at First United Reformed Church of Chino. We are a Protestant, Bible-based, family-oriented church committed to proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are located just off the 60 freeway at Mountain Avenue in Chino. We worship at 10 a.m. and 6.30 p.m. every Sunday. If you'd like more information about our church, give us a call at 866-99-UNITED. That's 866-99-UNITED. Hi, this is Pastor Bureau of Grace Evangelical Church in Torrance. We are a new Reformed church serving all of South Bay. As a member of the United Reformed Churches of North America, Grace Evangelical Church emphasizes the preaching of the gospel, weekly administration of the Lord's Supper, catechism of our children, and emphasis on the singing of the psalms, all in a family-friendly atmosphere. Come, worship with us. You can reach us at area code 310-782-7019. We welcome you tonight to Sinners and Saints. I'm Adam Kalustian with Moses Jambazian and John Sautel. We're pastors in local United Reformed Churches, and there is a new hot book out on the market that can teach you how to make things happen. It's not written by Donald Trump. It's not written by Lee Iacocca or Jack Welch or Deepak Chopra, L. Ron Hubbard or Oprah. It's written by Rick Warren. That's right. Uh, It is the wisdom and the fruit of 20 years of reflection and pastoral experience of none other than Rick Warren. The Purpose Driven Church is the title of the book, and he has drawn on his wealth of experience in growing his little Saddleback Community Church that started with him and his wife to now 120-acre campus, thousands upon thousands worshiping there each Sunday, and he will tell you how to make things happen in your church. Of course, he's uh, perfectly set up to do this because he has experienced wildly phenomenal, explosive, exponential success over the years. You go back to the whole Saddleback story. It purports to have started out in 1979 when Rick Warren drives into Los Angeles with a U-Haul and nothing to his name besides the furniture, the hand-me-down furniture that he has in his U-Haul, not one single member in his church, no congregation formed, only a dream and a vision, which he says God gave him in the middle of a seminary basement. As I sat in the dusty, dimly lit basement of that university library, I heard God speak to me. That's where I want you to plant a church, Rick, in Saddleback in South Orange County. My whole body began to tingle with excitement and tears welled up in my eyes. I had heard from God. It didn't matter that I had no money, no members, and had never seen the place. From that moment on, our destination was a settled 
issue. Well, I'm stunned. I got, I honestly have nothing to say or add to that. How do you even critique that? That is so bizarre and so out there that this is what he's heard and to do. I, I can't even comment on it. No, but, but that's the point. See, this is the whole reason why you have to listen to Rick Warren, because he has experienced this whole phenomenal growth process as a result of a, sort of a foolish boy's dream that all you got to do is show up in sunny Southern California with a U-Haul, and you can just sort of make things work out. And it did work out for him. And now that's the reason why he is in this position to tell you, as an expert, having experienced this why it will work for you well this is your problem you two you're so cynical and if you just listen to these purpose-driven strategies that the expert rick warren has laid out for us in the purpose-driven church then your churches might grow the way his have okay we'll stop and think about one of the uh the foundational purpose-driven strategies is he sent out 15,000 mailers to invite people to come to church. Now, that sounds like a very novel idea to me. Yeah, that's never happened before in the history of the church. 200 people showed up to that first service that was on an Easter Sunday, and it just started going from there. Well, actually, what it did is it caught a wave, according to Warren. 200 people showed up on Easter, and he looks to his wife, and she says to him, we're really on to something here. Yeah, but there's nothing unusual or unique about advertising. Advertising is fine to get the word out that you exist. The trouble is that when your entire ministry is continuous advertising, when your whole goal is merely to attract as opposed to actually teaching the gospel. And I know like, you can read his stuff and he says how much they're developing and discipling, but you don't see any of the patterns that he is using in the historic church. And that is really significant. He is claiming that in the last 20, 25 years, he has finally solved the riddle of what is the church and what the church ought to do, which for 2,000 years, the church had flat wrong. No, no, that, that's what's at the heart of this, though. I mean, this is one of the things that he used to sell and tout his book, is that this is not just fly-by-night, Johnny-come-lately stuff. These are principles that have been fashioned in the furnace of real church work, down in the trenches kind of church work where for 20 years they've been testing these things as if it's kind of in a laboratory. And now it's a result of this lengthy process of investigation, trial and error, that now somehow he has stumbled onto the great insight that somehow escaped the apostles and basically 2,000 years of church history. Yeah, and what are his insights? His insights are make sure you demographically target your group so that you have a particular group that you are trying to appeal to. Make sure that you find out what their perceived needs are and minister to those things, which is totally contrary to the scriptures of there being no division between Greek and Jew of how the church is one united body. Well, first of all, back up a sec. Nothing he says in this book that I've come across is new. And this is what astounds me. People treat this thing like, oh, this is the hottest thing. We've never seen this before. The Spirit is moving in a way we, we haven't seen since the early church. Everything you see in here is just recycled revivalism. What? You find it yeah. over and over again. Some guy who has a strong personality gets up and gets some people excited by doing a few things, very mechanical, and people follow it, and all of a sudden, oh, this is a great movement of God in history. Yeah, well, to, to come back on your point, this is not new. Basically, what he says he did before he ever stumbled across these insights is he surveyed the top 100 growing churches in America back in the 70s, 70s while he was still in seminary. And basically what he said is, I went through to find out what was working. 
What was working in these churches that were growing, and what was it? And so he distilled those down to a set of principles and packs them up with his belongings and put them in the U-Haul and ends up in California and starts implementing them, and voila, there you have. And it's beautiful. He basically has developed a church of apartheid. You've got everybody divided up according to their groups, what they like, and then you avoid everyone else so you're never uncomfortable in church. You don't have to deal with people you don't like because the only people around you are those who like the very same thing. This is just apartheid in the church. Well, basically, it's continue. It's a continuation of the cultural apartheid because he has said he is targeted one kind of person. So at this church, what you'll get is what they call Saddleback Sam, the guy who's a white, white-collar, upper-middle-income kind of a guy who's just drifting around in life looking for something. Hawaiian shirt, no socks. No, what you have here, again, is this issue of trying to market. And this is something that you see being used by the Nielsen ratings when the marketers come in and they say, okay, who does this show appeal to? Who can we market this towards? And then to gear everything to try to tap into the segment that has the largest chunk of money to spend on the product that you're trying to sell. That's not what the church is. And that's really the big problem here is that this whole concept is designed to create for yourself a personal little empire. It is not designed to preach the gospel to a sinful and hurting world and to call people in together to be the body of Christ. Now, we're going to break down some of these themes that we've introduced, why we would critique the so-called purpose-driven church model for how to run a church and how to make it grow. Come back. This is Sinners and Saints, Theology with an Edge. Are you looking for a church that values the Word of God and the rediscovery of its riches in the Protestant Reformation? Hi, I'm Pastor Adam Kalustian. I want to invite you to join us at the Ontario United Reformed Church. We worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. and 5.30 p.m. Take the Euclid Avenue exit off the 60 freeway, go north one block to Philadelphia Street, turn right, and you'll see us. That's the Ontario United Reformed Church, 866-99-UNITED. You are back, and we are critiquing the purpose-driven church model tonight on Sinners and Saints. I want to ask that question. What is wrong with using techniques, marketing techniques, to grow the church? Well, the first answer to that question is that it is based, that approach is based on a false understanding of what the church is and how a church is commanded to grow. Right. Well, that, that's manifest in his whole, Warren's whole philosophy here in terms of what a church is. He begins with the premise that the church, and this is how he defines it, is an organism. It's just like any living thing. He even used the example, it's like my kid. You feed it, you water it, and it just grows. That's what a church is, a and living if, organism. And if it's alive, it is going to grow dynamically. Oh, it has to, because that's what living things do. They, they reproduce, they multiply, they grow, they get larger. So when you have this type of misunderstanding, you're not going to utilize the correct tools to deal with it. The church is not merely an organism. It is not merely what he thinks it to be. And unfortunately, his entire philosophy of ministry is geared around enlarging the size of a particular congregation, but not so much to say, what is God's purpose in leaving a church in the world? Now, this is, let me tell you, when you critique the purpose-driven movement in this way, they'll argue, well, no, purpose-driven churches come in all sizes and shapes. We focus on balance health, and strength, not size or shape. There is no correlation. This is from their website. No correlation between the size and the strength of the church. But on the other hand, they go on to argue in the purpose-driven church that if your church is doing your job, it will be fruitful and it will grow. Now, you can't have it both ways. And our point is that they're compromising faithfulness to the calling of God for the sake of growth. 
because they're defining growth as part of the faithfulness. Right, and that's exactly the problem with a philosophy that does not start out with, first of all, defining the nature of what a true church is. Instead, you redefine what a church is based upon a set of so-called common principles, fellowship, maturity, service, evangelism, and worship. And you say, you don't bother asking the question. You can have all those things there, but do you have a church yet? Do you have a biblically defined church? What you have here is a big organization, and that's all it is. In fact, remember what Rick Warren's criteria was for writing this book, why he's qualified. I have a big church. So he's not really writing about churches. He is writing about big organizations, which are somehow related to this idea of church, and that's all he's done, and that's what it is designed to do. So it is not a biblical church. He doesn't say, my qualification is that I have studied the Word, I have been challenged, I can exegetically prove why these things are right. Instead, it's based purely on I have a big church. If you want one, you do what I do. Uh, And the proof that that is what's going on here is that he doesn't bother to go back to the scriptures or make a doctrinal statement or assessment of what a true church is. He goes on to say, make the claim, that this is not—if you follow these principles, you don't have to be a particular denomination or anything. This just appeals broadly. He says, a Lutheran church, Episcopal church, a Reformed—anybody can do this stuff. Well, I'm sorry. Yeah, because after all, you know, Rick is almost a prophet. He's been given a specific call from God, and so now he can— direct the rest of us what to do. So, you know, not only should we just be Lutheran, whatever, why don't we throw in everything? Be a Muslim, you know, be a Scientologist, use my methods and grow whatever it is your faith group seems to hold to. I mean, since it's method we're talking about as opposed to scriptural concepts, knock it, you, knock yourself out. Yeah, you know what, and this just kills me when I read this this quote. This is from uh, David Naderhood, a pastor of uh, a Christian Reformed Church in Alameda, California, and here's what he says. My biggest challenge is to convince people that this is really Reformed. There is a challenge there, because you can't convince someone when it's not true. This isn't really reform. Really, reform talks about regulative principle, about what God has revealed in Scripture as being the type and the model. Right, but this is the beauty of the system. You don't have to begin with definition about what the church is. You just have some broad principles, and anybody can do this. Without ever asking the question, like this pastor's congregation apparently is, they're testing, how is this reform? Yeah, and to be fair to Mr. Warren, he is, in fact, using Scripture quotes, but now we need to look at, okay, how is he using them? Are they even in context? Well, yeah, I think you need to take a step back and try and understand his logic, okay? Here's his basic logic. I was called directly by God. I came out here and I did things a certain way. Number three, they succeeded. Look at my church. Number four, let me look in the Bible and find those principles that I have already used to try and justify the way we've done things. And what I come up with is, the Bible teaches that fruitfulness of a church is an important thing. We're called to bear fruit, John 15, 16. Jesus reserved the severest judgment for the unfruitful tree, Matthew 21. Israel lost its privilege because of its unfruitfulness, Matthew 21. The Bible clearly identifies numerical growth of the church as fruit in the book of Acts. See, now, what he's doing is saying, because we've succeeded and because numerical growth is growth is labeled as fruit, then everything I've done must be right. The problem is he is not examining the biblical foundation of his specific methods well, plus the, the theology fruit, of that approach. Plus the word fruit is not exclusively a numbers thing because it doesn't talk about productivity. The fruit of the Spirit 
Spirit are characteristics of a Christian and what he develops. And so the believer will have the fruits of the Spirit, but not necessarily numerical yeah, growth. See, that's the beauty of, of not having a disciplined exposition of a text. You can now say, well, fruitfulness equals quantity rather than quality. It's over and over again, that's one of the problems in this book, is he quotes from like 15 different translations. He never develops an argument from a text. He just sort of cites it as if citing the text proved his point, whether the text had anything to do with the point he's trying to make. The fruitlessness of the nation of Israel wasn't that they didn't have enough converts. Is what, what it was was they had rejected Christ. This is the point. See, and this is where actually interpreting Scripture rightly matters. Israel's problem wasn't that there weren't numerically a larger number for Jesus to preach to. He he never critiqued that. His problem was they didn't receive him. The ones who were there didn't recognize him as Messiah. So the critique of the lack of fruit was that they did not believe in their hearts. That's right. And in fact, the ones who were labeled fruitful at the time, the ones who believed in Christ, were far less in number than those who had rejected him. So that should tell you something about Jesus' idea of church growth. All right, we got to take a break. We'll be back in a minute. Reformation Radio, theology with an edge. Come to worship God at the Pasadena United Reformed Church. Worship Him in spirit and in truth. Hear the gospel faithfully preached. Rejoice in the God of your salvation. Come and join us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. and Sunday evenings at 6 p.m. We are located at 226 West Colorado in Arcadia off the Santanita exit of the 210 freeway. Call us at 866-99-UNITED or visit us at urcsocal.org. We welcome you back to Sinners and Saints. We're talking about the purpose-driven church. And next week's show, we're going to evaluate some of the main principles of the purpose-driven church system. We're going to critique them from the Scripture. But listen, we are not just going to critique uh, this misunderstanding of the church, this misunderstanding of church growth, as if it's only present in so-called purpose-driven churches. It shames us to say that this kind of confusion and this kind of thinking has crept in to confessional Reformed churches and into the minds of so-called confessional reformed people. Well, and the reason why it does that is because there is such a total and complete lack of clarity about what a church is. And just a case in point here is what was printed in the latest issue of the Modern Reformation magazine. I'll begin by saying that the article does talk about what the true church is about, and in the article at some point, they do reference the fact that there are two marks of the church. By the way, they completely missed the third. They said there is preaching of the gospel, administration of the sacraments, but they totally neglect the third mark, which is discipline. So you come to this article about what, you know, in the course of this article, what should I expect from a church? And you have some interaction on that issue. And there's a little box that uh, Modern Reformation puts out. It says, five questions to ask when looking for a church. Now, when you ask that question, when you're reading the scripture, the first three things that should come to mind are, is the preaching of the word pure? Are the sacraments rightly administered? And is church discipline exercised? But now I want you to listen to this list. Does the church view Scripture as God's self-revelation? Okay, that's good. We could categorize that under the preaching of the Word. What is the goal of the preaching? What is the general diet? What am I likely to hear? Okay, that's good. That's all under preaching. Third is, does this church emphasize human sinfulness and justification by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone? Again, under the mark of the preaching of the Word, so far so good. What is the church's confessional statement, and is it a significant guide? There you have again, pure preaching of the Word of God. Fifth, what is the driving force in the church's style of worship. I don't quite know where to fit that one, but what is noticeably absent 
from that list of five things to look for when you're looking for a church. Well, the very same thing which is entirely absent in the purpose-driven church. What is the church? What are its marks? How do you know you have found it? See, it doesn't matter that you go to some little church, community church X over here, and the pastor happens to believe in the solas. And I'm somehow, a Calvinist. I yeah, yeah Calvinism. he believes in the solas, so somehow this is a church. Well, no, we have never said that in the Reformed tradition. In fact, the confessionally Reformed churches always began the marks of the church by saying it is a church that preaches the pure word of God. It begins by a correct definition, first of all. Also, it continues on with the sacraments. And the reason this is important is that the sacraments really are offensive. And I think that's something we've forgotten nowadays because it's so loose the way it's done. But sacraments get you thrown in jail in many nations. Sacraments get you killed. And so sacraments offend because sacraments are also something that will distinguish you from others. It will mark you out as separate and you will exclude people from receiving sacraments. Everybody can hear the word, but not everybody is allowed to receive the sacrament, and you must discriminate in accordance with the definition of Christian membership. Now, people are going to say, well, listen, my church just preaches the word, and my church has sacraments and discipline. We're saying, listen, what you have to understand is that these must be your definition of what a church is. And when you talk about church growth, these things must be the foundation and the starting point of any system of church growth. I'm not saying that your church doesn't try to do them, although in the case of Saddleback Community Church, your pastor's a Baptist, and he does not rightly administer the sacraments. Aside from that for a minute, the point is any philosophy you might have of church growth has to be based on this understanding of what defines a church, not some fuzzy things you found out of a Bible verse. You cannot separate the message of the solas or justification by faith alone. You can't separate any of that from the institute church. Christ instituted a visible body. He said it'll be governed in certain kinds of ways. He says it will manifest certain kinds of marks. We do no justice as Reformed people to tell the the broader community out there that it's okay for them, as long as they're in community church X, Y, or Z, to stay there as long as they have this common commitment to the solace. They're not in the church. People are always bemoaning how Reformed churches, who once were classically Reformed, became unorthodox, and now they've fallen victim to all kinds of theological liberalism. Well, let me tell you why. Because we have misunderstood what the church is. If the church would fight to maintain the purity of the preached word and fight to maintain the proper administration of the sacraments— and do their job of discipline, they wouldn't have any time to flirt with all these challenges to orthodoxy. See, our critique here is not that we are opposed to getting the word out that the church exists, whether it's advertising or mailings or whatever. Our problem is when you take this definition of the church, you know, the preached word, the sacraments and discipline, and you throw them out in order just to reduce it to let people hear about Jesus. That's our problem is that they're not in a church at that point. You What you have done is created a large crowd in a building, but it's no longer a church. And the church is where the gospel of grace goes out. That's where the means of grace are present. And that's what we're saying is being compromised through the methods overwhelming the definition and true ministry of the church. We as Reformed people do not testify to the world that that's where you begin when you start looking for a church. People are going to be assuming that it's okay for them to search for a church based upon whether the church has a particular Sunday school program that's going to suit the needs of their children, or because they say the Lord's Prayer in the worship service or something like that. They don't begin thinking theologically and principally about what a church is. You know, People could have their own little satellite worship group at Saddleback Community 
community church for the so-called reformed people. You know, well, if that is your kind of thinking, well, then you're going to meet on the side in this room, just like these kind of people meet in this room and those kind of people meet in this room. And those so-called reformed people will not see any contradiction with them being part of that larger body because they haven't understood in the first place what, what a, a church, church is. is. That's right. Yeah, yeah, your problem here is that you've got no real concept of the true value of Christ's body. And so you have all these little isolated groups, essentially, like I said, apartheid. And yet you're saying that, no, no, we really are unified. Unified in what? In worshiping Rick? In fact, that we all listen to his TiVo lectures? Like, what's the deal? No, you have to have the true gospel in the true church. Yes, in various assemblies, but assemblies because you're not all in the geographic area. So let me just boil this down for a second. Our critique is not so much with methods, although we may disagree with many of the methods that are discussed in here. It's the fact that a whole book is devoted to Saying, this is how church should be done without ever taking any time to stop and reflect upon what a church is. That's the primary question. Right, and some of the methods that are purported in this book, some of the methods that are recommended, do indeed end up undercutting the true nature of what a church should be. So that while the intention may be good to get unbelievers into a church or to make a church grow— you don't have a church that they're actually growing into. And we'll break down some of those uh, specific methods and how they've departed from the Scripture next week. We'll see you then on Sinners and Saints. Join us next week as we tackle more topics with the truth of God's Word on Sinners and Saints, Theology with an Edge. For more information, call 866-99-UNITED or log on to the web at urcsocal.org. That's 866-99-UNITED.